This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Yes, that would be me, and it's my duty for the next hour to serve as your host for Radio Parallax. Although we may be joined by some of our friends as the show evolves, but then again, maybe not. We're never quite sure. But regardless, let's begin our program as we like to do with On This Date in History, the date in question being the 7th of March. You know, there's 366 possible days in a year, and some days turn out to be less eventful than others. It kind of appears that March 7th may be one of those days. Given that it was on March 7th in the year 161 that the Roman Emperor Antonius Pius, fourth of the five good emperors, died after a 23-year reign of peace and prosperity. On this date in 1778, the English explorer Captain James Cook sighted the coast of Oregon. We warned you. And on March 7, 1911, American inventor Willis Farnsworth patented the first coin-operated locker. Mr. McMillan asks if uh, Willis might be related to Philo T. Farnsworth, and I don't know. But uh, Philo Farnsworth was one of the inventors of electronic television. We covered for this program the 75th anniversary of his broadcast from San Francisco over to Berkeley, which took place on Green Street in San Francisco. And I hate to point out that while Radio Parallax was covering this event, KGO TV and radio failed to walk the three blocks from their (laughs) headquarters to record and broadcast the proceedings. Sad. All right, on March 7th, 1933, the board game Monopoly was trademarked by the American businessman Charles Darrow of Atlantic City. I think we have to interject the Stephen Wright wisecrack about Monopoly, saying that he thought it was wrong when only one board game company was allowed to manufacture it. And finally, on this date in 1999, March 7th, Stanley Kubrick, the illustrious American filmmaker, died at the age of 70. He was one of the most acclaimed film directors of the 20th century, despite having only 13 feature films. Among them, Spartacus, Full Metal Jacket, The Shining, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and our personal favorite here at Radio Parallax. It's incredibly obvious, isn't it? A foreign substance is introduced into our precious bodily fluids without the knowledge of the individual. Certainly without any choice. That's the way your hardcore Kame works. Jack, Jack, listen, tell me. Tell me, Jack, when did you first become, well, develop this theory? Well, I, uh, I, I first became aware of it, Mandrake, during the physical act of love. Huh. Yes, a, a profound sense of fatigue, a feeling of emptiness followed. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I, I was able to interpret these feelings correctly. Loss of essence. Yeah. I can assure you it has not recurred, Mandrake. Women, uh, women sense my power, and they seek the life essence. I do not avoid women, Mandrake. Yeah. I, I do deny them my essence. <laughs> yes. That, of course, was from the Stanley Kubrick-directed Dr. Strangelove, a comedy decades ahead of its time. 
Our quote of the day comes from Carl Sandburg, who said, Love your neighbor as yourself, but don't take down the fence. In fact, I believe he wrote a poem to that effect. Our quote of the day from J.P. Morgan. A man always has two reasons for what he does, a good one and the real one. Our joke of the day comes from Jay Leno, or at least his writers, who said, Dennis Rodman visited North Korea. Rodman came back and said President Obama should call North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. Of course, but it turns out President Obama was busy discussing Iran's nuclear capabilities with Scottie Pippen. Our stat of the day, nearly 60% of the tuna sold at restaurants and grocery stores in the U.S. is in fact not tuna, based on a DNA study by the group Oceana. Most of the mislabeled tuna was, in fact, an extremely oily fish called Escalar, known to cause diarrhea. The same study found that red snapper was misrepresented 87% of the time. That was from an L.A. Times study sent to us by Joe, and I, I missed the part about the tuna. But did think of it yesterday when a friend of mine went out and joined me for sandwiches, and she ordered a tuna sandwich and afterwards said she didn't feel very well. I'll try and follow up and see what level of GI distress she sustained, uh, if you care, and, and frankly, you probably don't. But then again, maybe you should if you're going to go out and order a tuna sandwich. All right, let's jump right into the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week this past week for tempting fate with the news that an Australian billionaire, Clive Palmer, announced he's going to build a replica of the Titanic to ferry passengers across the Atlantic. Titanic 2 will supposedly be just like the original, except this time there'll be enough lifeboats for everybody. Boy, now there's a selling point. Of course, when you consider what's going on in the cruise industry of late, this may be a step forward. Yeah, from 1912 to 2013. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for Charles Maynard, a Democratic New Jersey state legislator who had to apologize for liking on Facebook two unseemly websites, which were Big Booty Freaks and You Get Knocked the F Out, the latter which apparently features videos of physical assaults. Legislator Maynard promised to unlike the sites once his daughter showed him how to do it. And while we at Radio Parallax certainly question the judgment of Charles Maynard, we do have to wonder why it is these two websites, You Got Knocked the F Out and Big Booty Freaks, were linked together. I mean, one seems a lot worse than the other, doesn't it? Look, she's just so black. I like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. And when a girl walks in with an itty-bitty waist and a round thing in your face, you get sprung. Well, we have to confess, it's been 20 years since it came out, but we are incapable of hearing Sir Mix-a-Lot's Babies Got Back and Not Crack Up. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for Law and Order, after a Swedish murder suspect was turned away when he tried to surrender to Malmo police. They told him the station was closed. Saleh Hadri told them, I'm a wanted man, and you guys really want to get a hold of me. Luckily, he was finally arrested when, as directed, he went to an open police station in another town. You know, a lot of people seem to think that socialism never works better than as practiced in Scandinavia. Well, we, we have our doubts. 
But we're pretty sure the next item wouldn't be something that came out of Scandinavia because it comes from the Only in America file. Note of the Week magazine, a Christian mothers group is complaining that Geico, the car insurance firm, is promoting bestiality. Geico's latest ad features Maxwell, a talking pig, ignoring the flirtatious advances of a young woman as they sit in a parked car. The group, One Million Moms, says it is, quote, disgusting to see how the company takes lightly the idea of bestiality, unquote. But anyway, there is this item from Scandinavia. Apparently, IKEA has pulled its popular Swedish meatballs from the restaurants at its European furniture stores after Czech inspectors discovered they contained traces of horse meat. An IKEA spokesman said, We hope that by taking decisive action, we can show our customers that we take their concerns seriously. I didn't know this, but apparently 150 million IKEA meatballs are eaten worldwide each year. Company says that only the European stores served by a single Swedish meat supplier were affected. So feel free to eat your meatballs here in the U.S. of A. I don't know when we're going to get around to having a discussion on this show about um, eating horse, but um, sometime this year we're going to try and do that. And we may want to mention at some point in this program uh, the trial going on in New York about a cop that wanted to eat people, but I don't think he had the stomach today. We do want to note a story uh, which broke yesterday in the McClatchy newspapers, article by Tony Pugh, about a topic we have uh, been beating on on this program a bit which is the question of drug-resistant bacteria. Apparently, the Center for Disease Control is getting worked up over carbapenem-resistant enterobacteriaceae, part of a family of more than 70 bacteria that live in the digestive system. Well, thanks to the misuse of antibiotics, uh, this bug is quite resistant to what used to be our gold standard antibiotic, carbapenem, which killed just about everything at one point. But of course, uh, well, docs... But unfortunately, sloppy docs across the country decided they were just going to have it used to cure their patients here and there, and it did then, but now we bred resistance. Of course, we do want to contrast this story with the fact that 80% of the antibiotics which are being used slash misused in this country are going right into animal feed at our nation's feedlots. Well, this may not be producing uh, carbapenem-resistant organisms. It's producing organisms that are resistant to all kinds of other commonly used antibiotics and is a scandalous procedure that should be halted, but our government does not seem to be taking it very seriously. We would refer you to that full article by Tony Pugh, working for McClatchy, as well as a piece done for Reuters by science writer Sharon Begley. We're pleased to note that Sharon Begley will be joining us on next week's program to talk about why we need germs and give some perspective on this issue of uh, good bacteria and bad bacteria. We're very much looking forward to that. And from our mailbox, I want to thank the several of you that alerted us to the New Yorker piece by Andy Borowitz. This, of course, is from the wonderful Borowitz Report, which we can't resist quoting from. The headline is, Pentagon, cuts could hamper ability to invade countries for no reason. Dateline, Washington. The spending cuts mandated by the sequester may hamper the United States' ability to invade countries for absolutely no reason, a Pentagon spokesman warned today. The Pentagon made this gloomy assessment amid widespread fears that the nation's ability to wage totally optional war based on bogus pretexts may be in peril. 
Historically, the United States has stood ready and able to throw billions of dollars at a military campaign with no clear rationale or well-defined objective, said spokesman Harlan Dornson. Our capacity to wage war willy-nilly is now in jeopardy. In the past, Mr. Dornson said, the Pentagon has had the resources to fight three meaningless and totally random wars at any given time. But now, in our planned meetings, we are cutting that number back to two. Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican South Carolina, agreed about the catastrophic effects of the Pentagon cuts, telling reporters, The ability of the U.S. to project its military power in an arbitrary and totally capricious way must never be compromised. Noted Borowitz, the cuts are already being felt in a tangible way at the Pentagon, which today canceled an order for $9,000 pens. And how about this piece, which is not from The Onion or the Borowitz Report? The Newark Star-Ledger and The Hill reports that Geraldo Rivera is thinking about a bid for the United States Senate. Said Rivera on his radio show, and who knew he had a radio show, I mention this only briefly. Fasten your seatbelt. I mention this only briefly to my wife, but I am and I've been in touch with some people in the Republican Party in New Jersey. I am truly contemplating running for Senate. Now, whether the Republicans are truly contemplating running Rivera is another matter. All right, I want to briefly mention in passing the special of the bee by John H. Sullivan, former chief deputy director of the Department of Fish and Game and former president of the California Fly Fishers Unlimited, noting that right now would be an excellent time to develop more funding for the California Department of Fish and Game, which has now been renamed Fish and Wildlife. I don't know, wasn't this the agency where a guy went up and shot a cougar up in Idaho because it's illegal in California and then refused to uh, resign his post and was not fired? That's the group we want to give more money to? Hmm. And no, we can't even speculate on what Marcos Breton, when he writes a column about how he uh, addressed a crowd, uh, making a pitch for why an entertainment facility would be great for downtown Sacramento noting in his column that a subsidy for a sports facility is always a deal-breaker for some. The idea of a billionaire owner padding his bottom line with public money to pay millionaire athletes is, like the Academy Awards show, something that millions hate. I don't know, it's a strange article. Breton notes that academics don't agree on much, but there's an academic consensus that public subsidies for sport ventures don't pan out. Yet, somehow he's for it. I I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I need to read the article more carefully. Nah. Let's instead read a wonderful piece written in the Sacramento News and Review by editor Jeff Von Kainel. Over coffee and croissants earlier this week, I opened up the News and Review, saw this piece, and went, oh my God, this is great. I need to write Mr. Von Kainel and tell him we're going to read this on the air. And by remarkable and dumb luck, I ran into Jeff about an hour later. Told him I admired this piece and what we were going to do, which is read it in its entirety, something we don't do a lot. But I think this piece is worth it, so... Without further ado, noted Jeff Von Kainel in the green light section of the Sacramento News and Review under an article titled Flood and Basketball, subtitled The Kings May Leave, but 100,000 remain on Natomas's floodplain. To quote, Sacramento will survive if the Kings go to Seattle. But will we survive the Kings' arrival, which had less to do with basketball and more to do with rezoning land in a floodplain? And yes, I would add that is in the form of a question. On the front page of a recent Saturday's Sacramento Bee, there were two seemingly unrelated stories. The first, 
Mayer, about to make all-star pitch to keep Kings, was about Mayor Kevin Johnson trying to convince NBA owners to keep the Kings in Sacramento. The second story, Levy fixes grind to a halt, explain how 24 miles of much-needed levy repairs have not been completed, while 18 miles of new levies have been finished at a cost of $400 million bankrolled by local taxpayers and the state of California, there remain another 24 miles of levies that will still need to be completed by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, costing taxpayers an additional $410 million. Noted Mr. Von Kainel, unfortunately this levy project has been stalled for the last two years since the House of Representatives banned earmark projects, including flood control projects in Natomas and the Midwest. He goes on. After Hurricane Katrina, the U.S. made a $14.4 billion investment in flood control around New Orleans. Now, Sacramento has a higher risk of a levy failure than any other city in the country. Why do we have 100,000 Natomas residents living in a floodplain? We can trace it back to the Sacramento Kings and short-sighted, sports-loving politicians who deserve more technical fouls than DeMarcus Cousins. In the late 1970s, some landowners, including Greg Lookenbill and Richard Benvenuti, began buying up relatively inexpensive farmland in North Natomas. This soggy land was right in the middle of a floodplain and would have been great for rice farming. In the early 1980s, local developers drafted a proposal to open up more than 4,000 acres in the North Natomas Basin for development. Part of the land would be set aside for a baseball stadium to attract a major league team to our city. Baseball did not happen, but in 1985, Look and Bill and a group of developers bought the Kansas City Kings. They would move the Kings to Sacramento if their floodplain in Natomas was opened up to development. It was, and now we have 100,000 people living in a floodplain. Environmentalists and others bitterly opposed this development and accurately predicted the folly of developing on a floodplain. But the love of sports trumped reason. And while the landowners received the benefit of this rezone, it is the Sacramento residents and taxpayers who are left footing the bill. He concludes by adding, and I hope that our only bill is for the levees. A global warming flood or a break in the levee could cause unimaginable loss of life and property damage. Mayor Johnson's all-star effort to keep the kings here should actually be applied to fixing the damage caused by their arrival. Mr. Von Kainel is the president, CEO, and majority owner of the News & Review newspapers in Sacramento, Chico, and Reno. We applaud him for this piece, which notes in an aside that for a fascinating explanation of the machinations behind land development in, Tom in Natomas, read Cosmo Garvin's The Great Natomas Land Rush, which was a Sacramento News and Review feature story from February 24th, 2005. That can be found at http slash slash tinyurl, T-I-N-Y-Y-U-R-L dot com slash Natomas Land. Anyway, we very much appreciate the News & Review's ability to look and say, hey, the emperor isn't wearing any clothes. Which is probably a good way to look at this whole Sacramento Kings fiasco. Dating back, we would agree, to their arrival. 
Anyway, Sacramento's not the only place that suffers from political chicanery. There's some issues going on over in Rome, I think you may have noticed. And sounding off on that is our old pal, Mr. Will Durst. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with a few choice words about the recently resigned Pope. And it doesn't matter who you are, that's always going to be at the top of your resume. Picking a new bishop of Rome is guaranteed to throw the Catholic Church into a frenzy of hyperdrive, which for them means accelerating all the way past erosion right up to snail's pace. Although the numbering got a bit sketchy during the Dark Ages, it's generally agreed that Pope Benedict XVI was the 265th Pope and the first to resign since Gregory XII stepped down in July of 1415 to head off on a hot weekend with his brother-in-law's masseuse's blacksmith's son in Sardinia. The Vatican announced the former Pope will henceforth be known as Pontiff Emeritus, since he no longer is Benedict, and nobody really expects the former member of Hitler Youth to answer to Hey Ratzinger anymore. Joseph claims the only reason he joined the baby Nazis was because he was forced to do it while young, but never really bought into the ideology, which is totally understandable since a lot of us have the same relationship with the Catholic Church. The College of Cardinals say the past post-pontiff still gets to stay at the Vatican, which could prove to be a bit intimidating should the former vicar of Christ ever decide to step out on a date in the future. I mean, it's one thing to have someone's parents hanging around, but 300 guys in dresses chanting and praying 24 hours a day? Less welcome than a tornado in a trailer court. The big question is, what does he do now? Write a book? Become spokesman for a line of red loafers? Perhaps consult for another faith, although he's probably got a non-compete. Maybe you can make the rounds of the interview circuit. So, Joe, how does it feel to be fallible again? For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. He is not only America's foremost political comic, he may be the Vatican's foremost political comic. And he does, by the way, afford us the opportunity to go out with... One of Mr. McMillan's all-time favorite pieces of bumper music. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Stay tuned for plenty more in segments two and three. First you get down on your knees. Fiddle with your rosaries. Bow your head with great respect and genuflect, genuflect, genuflect. Do whatever steps you want if you have cleared them with the pontiff. Everybody say his own, Kyrie eleison, doing the Vatican right. 